We'll just open up here in a word of prayer in just a moment, and then we'll dive into 2 Timothy chapter 2 tonight. Again, for those of you that uh, tonight may be your first night with us, we're just taking four weeks during the summer and going through the book of 2 Timothy. We're hitting a chapter a week, so we can't get into great depth, but I think we're getting into enough depth to where... uh, God can encourage us and also where hopefully it'll whet your appetite to dive into 2 Timothy and study it for yourself. And that's what it's all about anyway. So uh, let's open up with a word of prayer and then we'll uh, get into it tonight. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, Lord, just uh, taking us through this day. Uh, Many of us, Lord, have had some really good moments today and some some not-so-good moments today, but Lord, you've been there with us through everything, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for just your presence and your power uh, in our lives uh, throughout this day, and Lord, thank you for bringing all who are here tonight to this place, and Lord, we just pray that you would encourage us as only you can do, and Lord, that you would make your word very alive to us tonight. Because, God, we just are coming expecting to hear from you tonight, and we want to take away from this place tonight some great stuff that can just not only encourage us tonight, but, Lord, can encourage and continue to refresh us throughout the weeks ahead. And so, God, just uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be in total control here this evening, and, uh, Lord, that ultimately he would be our teacher and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. Before we dive into chapter 2 this evening, just again, very briefly, I want to sort of review, give us a little bit of historical background of why this letter was written. Let's remember as we approach Second Timothy that it was Paul's last letter. He knew that his time on earth was short and that soon he would be passing off the scene. Therefore, one of the motivations of writing this letter was he wanted to encourage a young pastor as part of the next generation that he was sort of passing the baton to, to keep on keeping on and to realize that this wasn't just about his generation, this was about the generations to come. And Paul wanted to make sure that he faithfully passed the baton of faith on to Timothy. And that he gave Timothy every amount of encouragement he could because the next generation was going to need faithful ministers and faithful servants of the Lord just as much, if not more, than Paul's generation did. As we said last week, uh, it's been said many times that last words are lasting words. And so the words of Paul and 2 Timothy uh, certainly, I think, are very passionate words, very personal words, and probably one of the reasons why 2 Timothy is such a beloved book by many, many people. Um, Don't want to take a lot of time, but again, just for those of you that were not here last week, if you keep your finger there in chapter 2 and you go over to chapter 4, you will notice that Paul in chapter 4 verse 9 encourages Timothy to come to him in Rome while he's there as a prisoner. Uh, He wants to see Timothy before he dies. 
He wants to spend a few more moments with Timothy, both encouraging Timothy and allowing Timothy and the Lord to encourage through Timothy. I think it's sort of interesting to think about, though we are not morbid here in thinking about the time that maybe we're getting ready to pass off Earth's scene, but it certainly will remind us about how important certain people are to us, that if we knew that our time on Earth was short, who would be those faithful few people that we would want to be there alongside of us at that moment? That says a lot. It says a lot about our relationship with them and what kind of impact their relationship had on us. And that's exactly where Paul and Timothy was in their relationship. You'll notice that Paul made provision for Timothy to come because in verse 12 he tells Timothy, I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus, and the only way he could be relieved of his duties at Ephesus and come and be with Paul for a little while was to have somebody step in and take his place. So uh, Tychicus was that guy that Paul called upon to come in and take Timothy's place in the pulpit at Ephesus and minister to the folks at Ephesus while Timothy was away ministering to the apostle Paul. So that's where we are. As we approach chapter 2, as we approached chapter 1 last week, here again is where we are. Not only does Paul feel like he is getting ready to go off the scene and he wants to pass this baton on to Timothy, but Timothy is at a place in his life and ministry where he just needs a lot of encouragement. He has went through a lot of difficult days as the pastor at the church at Ephesus, And quite frankly, he's pretty discouraged at this moment. Paul thinks that he may be on the verge of sort of throwing in the towel and giving up and saying, I've had enough, I'm through. And that's the last thing Paul wants to see happen for Timothy, not only for Timothy's sake, but for all those who would be negatively affected if Timothy dropped out of ministry. It reminds us as Christians... That the Christian life, even just being a Christian, is not a sprint. As I say many times, it is a marathon. We are in a long distance marathon. And and we have to take sort of a marathon mentality to our Christian life. We even have to take more of a marathon mentality if we're serving the Lord. If we are ministering for the Lord in some respect. And many folks who come here on Tuesday night, you're, you're here because you're one of the many who minister and serve in your church or maybe right here at Cornerstone. And like I say to our staff all the time, those who minister to others need to be ministered to as well. We all need to be ministered to. We do not serve the Lord or minister to the Lord out of a vacuum. We cannot do that. We have to continually refresh ourselves and continue to grow in our own relationship. And out of the overflow of our own growth, then do we minister and serve effectively. But they have to be together. And so we see the encouragement that Paul is giving to Timothy here throughout this book. That's why it's one of the most encouraging books in the Bible. Because he's trying to 
put heart back into Timothy. He's trying to encourage Timothy in every way that he can in order for Timothy to say, you know what? I'm not ready to quit. I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to keep ministering. I'm going to keep serving. And he wants Timothy to feel very refreshed and very full in the Lord. Maybe that's why some of you have come here this summer. Because you need refreshed. You need revived. You need filled back up. We all need that at times in our life. And we all need that continually. And that's where Paul was coming from. So with that said, go in with me now to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And as we read the words of this letter to Timothy, let's remember that Paul was manacled to a Roman guard at all times, 24 hours a day, as he wrote these words to young Timothy. And the first words in chapter 2 are this. So you, my child, terms of endearment, terms of a real personally intimate relationship, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If Timothy needed anything to keep on going, it was the grace of God. Because the grace of God in the Bible is not only defined as getting from God what we don't deserve, that undeserved favor that we get from God. It is also God's empowerment. It is His equipping us to meet the challenges that we are being called on to meet at that moment. And for every challenge that we have in life, the Bible teaches us that God's grace is sufficient to match those challenges. And that's why Paul starts out chapter 2 here reminding Timothy to be Jesus strong. We see commercials lately on the television about becoming army strong. There are advertisements for young people to join the army. And, and if you join the United States Army, the, the army is going to take your upbringing and just add to it and build upon it. And you're going to become this young person that is army strong. Well, Paul's basically saying, I got something even better than army strong. And that's being Jesus strong. Being strong in the grace that is found only in Christ Jesus. And literally in the original language, what Paul is saying is, not that somehow I work myself up to be strong, but that I allow God to strengthen me by His grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. You see, there's a difference. Paul isn't saying, you know, Timothy, you become strong on your own somehow. No, he's saying, allow God to strengthen you. Allow God to strengthen you. And God wants to strengthen His children. God wanted to strengthen Timothy. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to strengthen you and I every day to meet whatever challenges life has in front of us. And those challenges can be met as long as we have the grace of God flowing into our lives. Some may say here tonight, well then, how do I, how do I allow God's grace into my life. How do I allow God's grace to strengthen me? Well, first of all, the Bible says both in James and in Peter that God resists the proud but gives His grace to those who are humble. 
So if I'm going through life like a proud person does and says, even though I've got these tremendous challenges in my life, I'm going to handle them on my own because I'm a strong person and I don't need God or anybody else's help and I'm going to deal with this on my own, God says, fine, I'm not going to give you my grace because you don't think you need my grace. You don't want my help, you don't need my help, therefore I'm not going to give you my help. But when we humble ourselves before God and we basically come before God and say, God, I can't handle this on my own. I can't live even one day on my own. Forget the big challenges of life. I can't effectively go through any day of my life without having the grace of God pulsating through my being. And therefore, God is looking for those who will humble themselves and say, God, I need you today. I need you every day. I need you every hour of the day. And when God sees that kind of humility and that kind of heart, where we are laying down our pride, the grace of God begins to flow in our lives. Another way we exemplify humility in our life is through our prayer life. That's why Hebrews 4.16 is a good support verse for the grace of God. Because the writer of Hebrews says, let's confidently approach the throne of grace that we might find grace and mercy to help in time of need. So that God is basically saying, my throne is open to you at any time for those who have access to my throne through the blood of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do at any time is to go to the throne that is described as the throne of grace and say, God, I need your grace, I need your help. And God says, if you come, you can be confident that I will bestow my grace. You see, prayer and our prayer life is a great barometer of how humble a person we are. Because again, if I'm a proud person, I probably won't pray very much. Because prayer is sort of going to God saying, God, I need your help here. I need your wisdom here. I'm asking you to help me here. A proud person probably doesn't have much of a prayer life because they're trying to live their life on their own. And one of the ways that God will strengthen us is through our prayer life. That's why Christians' prayer lives can be such a battleground. Satan doesn't want Christians on their knees praying because he understands this principle. That when we're on our knees and we're humbling ourselves before God, God's grace is flowing into our lives, and then we've got all the strength that we need to meet the challenges of life, whatever they are. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God I am what I am. Pretty self-explanatory. That's why he says, Timothy, allow the grace of God to strengthen you. Don't minister, don't serve, don't pastor, don't teach the Bible, don't pray, don't try to witness for Christ one more day without having the grace of God just sort of booing you up and building you up and carrying you through the day. And let's remember that Paul was the one who said in 2 Corinthians 12 that he had a thorn in his flesh and he asked the Lord to get rid of the thorn and God said, I'm not going to get rid of the thorn because in my wisdom, you having that thorn is going to be better off for you. But what I can give you is my grace and that my grace is sufficient. There's been a lot of songs and hymns written about the grace of God. Wonderful grace of Jesus. 
amazing grace. We sing the chorus here, the, the, the modern chorus, your grace is enough. And there's been a lot of songs written about God's grace. And Paul just sort of wants to start it all off here tonight talking about God's grace. Reminding us of the sufficiency and the power that is in the grace of God. I'm just going to share with you very quickly personal testimony from my own life. That there have been times in my life where I, only because of the grace of God and not because of any power in Jeff Royce, was able to do unbelievable things things that I could never have done, things that I could not take credit for, but I saw in my own life what the grace of God can do and continue to do every day, and you can see that same thing in your life. Tap into the grace of God. God wants us to live by His grace. You see, we don't, even, we don't just need God's grace to order to come to a relationship with God. We need to live by God's grace every day, even as a Christian. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, allow God to strengthen you and make you Jesus strong by the grace that is only found in Jesus. Before I leave this very important point, I want to remind us all of what Paul here is also saying in chapter 2 verse 1. And that is the strength, the grace, the empowerment, the encouragement, the equipping that we need in order to meet the challenges of life and just to live can only be found in Jesus Christ. You can't find that grace. I can't find that help in anyone else or in anything else other than Jesus Christ. And that's why sometimes as human beings, we're trying to find this grace in a relationship or in some other human being and we're never going to find it in anything on earth. We're never going to find it in any other human being. The only place, Paul says, we can find this kind of grace is in Jesus Christ. That's why we have to focus on Jesus, keep our eyes on Jesus, live looking at Jesus, pointing people to Jesus because it's only in Jesus Christ and in magnifying himself in our lives and in the lives of others do we truly discover the grace of God that God wants to bestow upon us. All right. I think you can see that I could preach on that for the rest of the night, but we've got a whole other chapter to get to. So let's move on to verse 2. Another thing that Paul is saying to Timothy here to hopefully encourage him is, Timothy, one of the reasons why you may be wearing down in ministry and in serving the Lord is because you're trying to do it all yourself. And one of the things that God wants us to do as Christians is always share the burden of ministry and share the burden of responsibility. God never expected any one person to shoulder the whole load. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, the book that we just went through last semester in the mind reminded us that a church that is sort of functioning on all cylinders, as my dad used to say, is a church where everybody's involved, where it's not just 10% or 20% or 30% of the people who are involved in ministering and service, 
but the goal of God for his church is 100% of the people who go to that church are involved in some way, each doing their part. Because God doesn't expect any one person or any one pastor or director or leader to be doing it all. Because if we do, we will begin to wear down. So notice what Paul says, Timothy. And trust what you heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. I could teach the rest of the night on this verse, but I'm going to try to... There's just so much in here. First of all, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I handed the baton of faith off to you. And even in the early church, there was a standard, there was a body of doctrine by which the early church measured everything. That's why even in the early church, they could tell who the false teachers and false prophets were and who were the true spokespeople for God because they had a, they had a standard by which they could measure what people said and said, now that, does that line up with what God has said or not? And so Paul's saying, I faithfully gave you that standard. Now you need to not only keep that standard for yourself, but you need to pass that standard off to others. You see, whatever God is doing in my life, he doesn't want me to keep to myself. He wants me to share it with others. And I'm not saying that God's going to call all of you or everybody to a teaching ministry in a formal way like God called me to, but God does expect every Christian to share with other people what God's doing in my life. I don't need to have the gift of teaching to be able to do that. I just have to be excited enough about what God's doing in my life to share it with somebody else. And so Paul says, Timothy, first of all, don't feel like you've got to do this ministry in Ephesus all by yourself. You've been entrusted with this doctrine, with this standard, with this body of truth, and now you need to look for people in Ephesus when you get back there that are faithful people who you feel you can entrust that to so that then they can look for other people. And what this is called is the multiplication of the church. You see, God is not about adding to the church He's about multiplying. He's about me reaching you and you reaching somebody and them reaching somebody and them reaching somebody and pretty soon it just ripples out and multiplies out. That's why every Christian is responsible to, to at some point in their life, grow to the point where they can invest in somebody else and have a Timothy in their life. Now a couple things here though. Paul puts some stipulations here. He says, Timothy, don't just entrust this important stuff to anybody. No, you look for faithful people in your church. And here's the cool thing about God. God doesn't say through Paul to Timothy, Timothy, you look for the most gifted, talented, educated, rich, whatever people in your church. No, he says faithful. Because anybody and everybody can be faithful. Anybody can be faithful. And, he, and that's what God is looking for, folks. We get, we get some weird ideas about serving and ministering and who God can use and whatever. And here's the one thing that God's looking for. The only, he's just looking for somebody to be faithful. That's, all he's, that's why Jesus, when we get to the evaluation of our lives, the one thing he says to the servants in his parables in the Gospel of Matthew, well done, thou good, and what? 
faithful servant. Faithful. It's all God's looking for. Faithfulness. And so Timothy is to take some time to observe who's faithful. Okay? And then he's to entrust them with this. And then he's to help them become competent to pass that on. God doesn't expect them to be competent right at the moment. And that's why I'm a firm believer that I believe the Bible teaches that leaders can be trained. That as long as they are making themselves available and that they are faithful, we can take that faithfulness and we can build upon it, we can grow it, we can train it to become competent in order to pass it on to somebody else. The important thing, though, I think for all of us here tonight, beyond all of that, is this. God is saying through Paul to all of us to encourage us, First of all, most important, be Jesus strong. Allow God's grace to strengthen you. And when you're in ministry and you're in serving the Lord, don't shoulder more than what God wants you to shoulder. And don't, ex- don't allow others and don't expect of yourself more than God expects. Share the burden and the responsibility of ministry with others and allow more people to come on board and get the blessing for serving the Lord and ministering to the Lord anyway because there is nothing more satisfying, more thrilling, more fulfilling than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. And so not only do we help ourselves by raising up others who we can entrust these ministries and and service to, but we're blessing them by allowing them to be a part of the blessing and getting it as well. And then uh, Paul gives Timothy three illustrations. Three illustrations that were very near to Paul and near to most people in that society at that time. And they're three illustrations that really give us a picture of what a servant or minister for Jesus Christ, what kind of mentality we need to have in order to not give up and not throw in the towel and keep on moving forward. The first is a soldier. The second is an athlete. The third is a farmer. Let's look quickly tonight at first the soldier, verse 3. Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, it's rewarding to serve the Lord. It's a thrill, it's fulfilling, it's satisfying to serve the Lord, but I've never said it was easy. And there are going to be times, Timothy, just like there have already been times with you as the pastor of the church at Ephesus, where it's been very challenging and very difficult and very demanding. God never said it would not be difficult at times and that there weren't be times where God would call upon all of us maybe to suffer for the cause of Christ and to stand up for what was right and to stand up for Jesus Christ and maybe get some kind of backlash from that there will be times if we're faithful to the Lord where that will happen so he says hey just like a soldier soldiers do unbelievable service to their country But their service is difficult. It is very demanding. 
And here specifically in this context, I also think Paul is saying a soldier needs to be very single-minded and very focused on what he's doing because if he's not, it might cost him his life or the life of somebody else that he's soldiering with or she is soldiering with. That's why he goes on in verse 4 to say, No one in military service gets entangled in matters of everyday life, otherwise he will not please the one who recruited him. A soldier that gets distracted is a soldier that can get hurt. A soldier that gets, who loses focus, is a soldier who might allow someone else to get hurt. We've got to stay focused. And that's why he says, let's think about soldiers for a minute. Paul certainly knew soldiers. He was shackled to one every day. That's probably maybe why that was even the first illustration he used. Well, here's one right next to me. I'll use the soldier. And he also says, you know, we don't see this much in our society anymore. But in Paul's society, there was something very noble and and very much honorable about wanting to please those in authority over you. And Paul says, especially for those of us who are soldiers of Jesus Christ, who at times we are part of a conflict. It's not easy. And we need to recognize that. We talked about that last semester when we talked about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. We have to to sometimes recognize we're in a battle. We are in a, a war and we can't take it lightly. And we are called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. And especially for those of us that are soldiers of Jesus Christ, we should want to please, more than anything else, our commanding officer, our commander-in-chief. Because he's given us the privilege of being a part of what he is doing on this earth. And even, even though it's not always easy, it is going to be something that is going to last throughout eternity. It is going to be something that touches the souls of other human beings and again, touches our soul in a way that nothing else can. Then in verse 5, he uses the athlete. And again, why? Well, we're coming up on the Olympics here very soon. In Paul's culture, the Olympics were huge. Everyone knew about the Olympic athletes. Everyone knew about the Olympic Games and the Ismithian Games that actually took place in Corinth. And notice what Paul says. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he will not be crowned as the winner unless he competes according to the rules. First of all, he's saying, think about athletes. Think about these Olympic athletes, how much time they spend in training and how much of their life is spent in self-discipline. It's not easy being an Olympic athlete any more than it is being a soldier. But the reward for doing your job successfully and excellently, can anything beat that? I mean, in, a, in about a month now, we're going to, maybe some of us, be watching the Olympics on television. And many of these gals and guys have trained for years, for one moment, one moment, the moment where they stand on that podium and they get an Olympic gold medal. And Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9, you and I as Christians, We're going to get more than a gold medal out of faithfully serving the Lord. We're going to get eternal rewards that will never wear out. 
Isn't that even more of a motivation for living a life as a dedicated athlete, in a sense, for Christ? And then he reminds us, hey, part of success in athletic contests, playing by the rules. You know, I'm a big football fan. And every year I get so frustrated when I'm watching a team that I like. Man, they take the ball on their 20-yard line. They're driving down the field. They get to what's called the red zone between the 20 and the goal line. And they're just clicking. They're just moving the ball. And then all of a sudden they get down there ready to score. Penalty. It just kills the momentum. It just totally destroys the momentum that that team had as they marched down. Penalties kill us. And that's why Paul says, hey, another thing we need to keep in mind as an athlete, especially one of God's athletes, is if we're going to be successful in God's eyes, we've got to play by his rules. We can't be a successful God athlete out there doing our own thing, disobedient to the clear teaching of Scripture, and somehow think that God's going to say, well done, now good and faithful servant. God never encourages sin. And so God is saying, I'm calling you to be a soldier. I'm calling you to be an athlete. But I'm telling you this. If you dedicate your life and you discipline your life to being the soldier and the athlete that I've called you to be, I'm telling you, you will be eternally rewarded for that. And the glory that you will share with me one day is not even going to be worthy to be compared to anything that you've dealt with here on earth. Romans 8.18 is where that's found. The final illustration is the farmer in verse 6. And in the original language, the thing that's emphasized here in verse 6 is that the farmer works hard. I come from back east. I come from the heart of farm country, Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia. Man, I drove through the Amish country of Pennsylvania, and you see farm fields. Never was a farmer myself, nor anybody in my family, but I've certainly observed farmers and farming, and it is hard work. A lot of hard work. A lot of faith involved. Because the farmer is going to go out and sow his seed, but he realizes a lot of the crop and how good the crop is going to be. It's out of his control because it has to deal with how much sun and how much rain and all of that. It's the weather. He doesn't have any control. All he can do is sow the seed and work hard to make sure that his field is in the condition it should be in. And he plants its seed in its season and leaves the rest up to God. And that's what the Christian minister and servant needs to do. God doesn't expect us to be able to control everything. But God simply says, be faithful to what you can do. If you can till that field, till that field. Make sure that ground is good for that seed when it goes in. And then go out when you need to go out and plant that seed and let the rest up to me. But the farmer works hard. Up every morning early, works long hours. Somehow, again, I... Jesus never said, if you truly want to serve me and you want to minister for me and you want to keep going forward, it's easy. God, that's not here. That's why I tell people, the Christian life isn't for the faint of heart. And then when you get into serving and ministering for the Lord, that's not for wimps. That's for people who are becoming Jesus strong. 
Because again, it's not about how strong we are. It's about allowing God's strength to just flow through us. And they will be the ones that are continuing to go strong after God after not just one year or five years or ten years, but till the very end of their life like Paul, they're going to be able to say, I hung in there, man. wasn't because of me. It was because of God, but I hung in there. I was a good soldier. I was a dedicated athlete. And I was a hard-working farmer. In fact, notice Paul says, one of the byproducts of the farmer is he's the first one to share in the crops. So it's not like, again, that you, know, you don't get some benefit for all that hard work. Before the farmer ever ships all that stuff out to somebody else, it's right there for his table first. That's one of the benefits I love about teaching. Because I'm studying months ahead of the time that I actually come in here and share this with you. And so I get the benefit of what God's doing in my life way before you even hear about it, and I can't give you everything that God's given me. So there's an advantage there to being that person that you dedicate yourself to the Lord and you serve. You get a lot back that you could never share with everybody, that God blesses you with because like the hardworking farmer, you put a good day's work in the field and you got back some really good crops. Notice Paul says to Timothy, verse 7, think about what I'm saying. Contemplate, meditate. Don't just read your Bible so quickly and run out the door in the morning to say you've done your devotions that you don't soak up something that you can actually just sort of think about and meditate on and roll around in your mind for the rest of the day. Paul says, Timothy, we could stop right here with what I've just shared with you about the grace of God, about sharing the burden of ministry, about using the illustrations of a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, and you'd have enough to chew on for several days, Timothy. Think about what I'm saying. Meditate on it. Contemplate it. And the Lord will give you understanding of all this. Oh, and by the way, Timothy, while we're talking about something or someone you should meditate, focus, concentrate, contemplate, notice the very next three words. Remember Jesus Christ. Because the ultimate example, the ultimate encouragement, the ultimate inspiration for a Christian to keep on going and to not throw in the towel and to not give up, Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus. Think about what he did as God to leave the glories of heaven the adoration of the angels throughout eternity. And God takes upon human flesh and humbles himself and comes to earth to live amongst those he created for 30-some years and then allows those that he made to crucify him. Wow. In fact, keep your finger in 2 Timothy and go over to the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 12. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. When you and I feel like giving up, the best thing we can do is to start thinking about Jesus Christ. He alone can be the sole inspiration and fire for our life. Not only does Paul say that, 
But notice what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. Again, Paul's using an athletic metaphor. They saw the marathon runners in Paul's day. And the writer of Hebrews is doing the very same thing here. He said, you saw people running, and if they're running long distance, they certainly can't be carrying any kind of extra weight on their back. They've got to get rid of all that so that they can run a long distance. And notice what he says, verse 2. Keeping our eyes fixed on our spouse. No. Keeping our eyes fixed on our pastor. No. Keeping our eyes fixed on our Christian friends. No. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him. There again, contemplate, think, meditate. Who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. God understands there's times in our life where we feel like giving up. But God says, when those moments come, Think about Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ. Get your encouragement from Jesus. Remember as God what Jesus Christ endured. He endured crucifixion. And he was God. At any time he could have went poof and everybody would have been dead. At any time like they asked him to do. He could have come down from the cross. But he didn't. I mean, he had the power within him to stop it at any moment. Many times we don't have the power over anything. We're totally out of control. He had control over everything and decided to endure. Why? The writer of Hebrews says because he knew about the joy that was set ahead of him. He knew that he was going back to heaven with his father He knew that down through the ages there would be many of us. In fact, I believe even though we weren't even born yet, he had us in mind as God. And he was up there on that cross enduring all of that because he looked down the quarters of time and he saw that one day in 1972, Jeff Royce was going to ask Jesus to be his Savior. And if Jesus Christ can do that, he can enable you and I to do it as well. Think of him when we feel like giving up. The writer of Hebrews says, hopefully that will be encouragement to keep on keeping on. Back to 2 Timothy. Not only does he ask us to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, a descendant of David, such as my gospel, but Paul goes on to say, I suffer hardship to the point of imprisonment as a criminal, but God's message is not imprisoned. And he's reminding Timothy here, Timothy, don't look at the circumstances. Again, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because many times where servants of the Lord and ministers for the Lord get discouraged is they start looking at the circumstances or the results of their ministry or 
the lack of results of their ministry or whatever, and they get discouraged. And again, remember, God doesn't hold us responsible for the results. He just holds us responsible to be faithful. i got to use Noah here. For many Christians in the world in which we live, Noah would have been, would have, yeah, I can't even say it. Noah would have been considered a failure because he preached for 120 years and the only people that got on the boat with him was his own family. Did God think Noah was a failure because only eight people got on the, did God say, well, Noah, if you'd have just preached better or Noah, if you'd have just lived better. No, in fact, God commends Noah in the Bible. He says, Noah, you couldn't, you, you did it well. In fact, I'm putting you in the Hall of Fame of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. You did it well, Noah. I'm not holding you responsible for the fact that the rest of the world didn't listen to you. And God doesn't do, he doesn't do any different for you and I. He's just asking us to be faithful, share the word when we get the opportunity, and if people don't want to hear it, that's on them. That's not on us. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy... Just because I'm in prison doesn't mean God's word is in prison. In fact, God has me here for a great purpose because there are soldiers and, and there are uh, prison guards and there are keepers of the prison that are hearing about salvation in Jesus Christ that would have never heard had I not been in prison. So when you begin to look around at the circumstances of your life, Timothy... And you're looking at the fact that, man, it's going pretty bad for me right now. Remember something, Timothy. It's not about you. It's about God. And it's about His message getting out. And that's why I'm here, Timothy. Because personally, this is, this is a bummer. I'm a prisoner. I'm shackled to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. I have no freedom personally. But I've got all the freedom I need in Jesus Christ. And there are people outside of Rome here who have all the freedom in the world to do anything they want to do every day and they are in more bondage than I am here because they're in bondage to sin. And I've been set free from sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, don't look at the circumstances. Look at God. And look at the fact that there's going to be times where God calls upon us to suffer and to be put in personally negative circumstances so that he can use us to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And Paul says, Timothy, God's word's certainly not bound. Man, it's going everywhere. So don't get discouraged, Timothy. Don't start looking at circumstances. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. And then verse 10, he says, Timothy... I endure what I'm enduring because there are still people that have to know about Jesus. There are still people who have to come to Jesus. He says in verse 10, So I endure all things for the sake of those chosen by God that they too may obtain salvation, future tense, in Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. And Paul's encouraging Timothy with the same line of reasoning. Timothy, here's the reason you can't throw in the towel and give up. We need you as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Why? Because there are people that you still need to touch. God wants to use your life to make an impact on their life. 
And there may be somebody out there, Timothy, that doesn't know about Jesus yet. And the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. And the love that's found in Jesus. And God wants to use you to reach them. And if you throw in the towel and give up, where's it all going to end? You see, Timothy, you and I are part of something much bigger than just ourselves here. And I can't let you give up. Because I can't let you give up for your own sake. And I'm going to do everything I can to encourage you to keep on moving forward because there's still people that you don't even know, Timothy. You don't know their name. You don't know their face. But God wants you to touch their life. Can I just stop here for a second and say, and God wants to do the same thing here? I hope we all realize that there are people that as we continue to grow and mature in our faith, and go after Jesus Christ, and serve Him, and minister to Him, that there's going to be people that God will bring into our life that we don't even know their name, we don't even know what they look like, but God wants to use us to make an impact for eternity with them, because there are people that God can use you to touch that I'll never know, and vice versa. And that's why God sends us out as His salt and His light into the communities in which we live, the neighborhoods, the places of business, the schools, everything, and says, go, be my witness. And whatever you're enduring, and whenever those days get tough, remember something. You're not just enduring, and you're just not moving ahead triumphantly in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ for yourself. But always remember that God wants to keep you on the right path so that he can use your life to touch other people's lives. People that you and I don't even know yet. And that's why God continues to call us forward. Verse 11, this saying, Timothy, is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful since he cannot deny himself. And I think this was probably an early creed or hymn that was sung in the early church. And it's why it's designed even the way it is probably in many of your Bibles. The typeset is a little bit different. There are many creeds and hymns found throughout the Bible from the early church in the New Testament. And here's the bottom line, I think, of what Paul is trying to encourage Timothy with here, with this, all of that information. Timothy, you can always count on Jesus. He is absolutely trustworthy. He is consistent. You can count on what he said. If he promised he was going to do something, he will. He will never contradict himself. He will never say white over here and then change his mind to black over here. You never have to worry when you go into the presence of Jesus. Is this the Jesus I'm going to find today or is the Jesus I found last week? It's going to always be the same Jesus because Jesus is God. God cannot change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. And Paul is simply saying, Timothy, you can find your stability in him and in what he said. Therefore, if that's what he said, that's what he'll do. Count on it. That's why that third line about, well, if I deny him, he's going to deny me. Yeah, because he's not going to tell a lie. When Peter denied the Lord three times, Peter one day is going to have his life evaluated like the rest of us are. Jesus isn't going to be there in heaven and go, well, no, Peter really didn't deny me. No, he's going to, yeah, Peter denied me. It's all right, though. I forgave him for that. He's one of my children. But yeah, he denied me. 
Jesus is going to be true to himself and to his word, and he will never change. And that's something we can count on. That's something we should really be happy with today in our world, in our society, because I don't know about you, but I think it just keeps getting worse and worse where the politicians and leaders of this world pretty much just sort of say whatever they want to to whatever crowd they want to, and then they get somewhere else and change that. And There's no consistency. There's no stability. That's why I believe the world is ripe for the Antichrist. Because we have a void of leadership in this country and in this world. And we have so many problems piling up that people are like, well, I've got some ideas, but I, I don't really know. And most of the what we call great minds of our society, they can't even figure it out. So no wonder when this Antichrist comes on the scene, energized by Satan, and begins to look like he can figure all this stuff out, the world is just going to sit back and go, you're our king. Because you've been able to do what none of the other leaders in this world could ever do is figure out how to have peace in the Middle East and how to figure out all these other problems. You've been able to do it. They couldn't do it. We worship you. I don't know why I got off on that. (laughs) All right, I got 20 minutes. Let's keep on trucking. Verse 14. And this is not the only time Paul's going to say this. He's going to repeat this same principle about three times in the rest of this chapter. He just says it to me in a little bit different way. And here's what he's telling Timothy. Timothy, one of the things more than anything else that will sap you of your spiritual strength and, and keep you from moving forward and, and, and feel like you don't have anything left and, is that you're getting sucked into battles with people that God never wanted you to get involved with. Here's God's advice to all of us. Pick your battles in life carefully. If you pick a battle that God wants you to fight, then guess what the Bible says? The battle's the Lord's. And I don't have to worry about fighting it. I don't have to worry about winning it because God's going to win it for me. It's like when David stood up to the giant Goliath. When he walked out on that battlefield, he knew that he wasn't walking out on his own. He knew that that was a battle that God wanted him to fight. And so he didn't care what kind of giant it was, how big the giant was. He knew the giant was going to fall because it was a battle that the Lord wanted him to fight. And it was the Lord's battle. But there are times in our own lives and in the life of people you see in the Bible, where they chose to get involved in a battle that God said, shouldn't have gotten involved with that. And we all know, if we've been around any length of time, we got involved in family disputes or friend disputes or something, that we got involved with something, some feud or something, and then we look back and go, I should have never gotten in the middle of that one. And that's why God says to us, I want you to Get involved in some battles. It's what Paul's telling Timothy. Sometimes as a soldier of Jesus Christ, I've got to be willing to stand up for Christ, for what is right, stand up for the truth of God's word, and there are times where God says, hey, go for it. That's a battle worth fighting. I'll be there with you. We'll be there together. But there are other times where God, through his spirit and through his word, is telling us, don't get involved in that. 
That's not a battle I want you to get involved with. Don't allow them to suck your energy for Christ. Don't allow them to sidetrack you. Don't allow them to distract you from what God has called you to do. Nehemiah is a great example of that. Nehemiah chapter 6, he's up there, he's got the whole people of Israel energized to rebuild the wall, and there's these guys over here trying to say, hey Nehemiah, won't you come down and have a conversation with us? We, we got some theological discussions we would like to have with you. Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work, I can't come down right now. I love that. Sometimes when people call me up and say, hey, can you get involved in this? I'm doing a great work, I'm sorry, I can't go do that. Right now. <laughs> I mean, I... I want to be used by God to encourage others and to help others and to get involved in all of that. But there are some issues where God says, don't get involved with that. Don't go down that road or else you're going to go by yourself and you're going to regret it. Notice what Paul says. Remind people of these things, verse 14 of chapter 2. And solemnly charge them before the Lord not to wrangle over words. This is of no benefit. It just brings ruin on those who listen. Sometimes all people want to do is just argue for the sake of arguing, and it never gets anywhere, and it never accomplishes anything. It was one of the frustrating things about a pastor going to seminary. Goodness gracious. Sometimes all these people want to sit around and do is argue theological points and stuff, and it never gets anywhere, it never benefits anybody, it never leads to any more godliness. It's all about trying to impress somebody with your knowledge and make sure that you're right. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, be careful. There are going to be people in your church that what they want to do is pull you aside from what God has called you to do, and they're always going to want to argue with you. Don't allow your energy to be sapped by those people. In fact, notice in verse 16, avoid profane chatter, because those occupied with it will stray further and further into ungodliness, and their message will spread its infection like gangrene, Hymenaeus and Philetus are in this group. They've strayed from the truth by saying that the resurrection has already occurred and they are undermining some people's faith. That's how dangerous it is. In fact, notice in verse 22, keep away from youthful passions. Now many people, when they read that, they automatically think, and I think probably because of the world we live in, sexual. I don't think it has anything to do with sexual. I think the youthful passion that he's talking about there is, you remember when we were young and we, we, we knew everything? And we liked to argue because we just, I think that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, Timothy, you're young. You want to be right. You want to make your point. You know, you're always wanting to get in an argument with somebody. The kingdom of God is not about winning arguments. It's not about winning debates. So notice he says in verse 22, keep away from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace in company with others who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but reject foolish and ignorant controversies because you know they breed infighting. And the Lord's slave must not engage in heated disputes, but be kind toward all, an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. But don't spend your time, Timothy, and don't allow your energy. That's why some people who come to me, and and listen, their heart is as big as, you know, this. 
They're so wanting a, a family member or a friend to come to Christ or to have the light bulb go on and them see the truth and whatever. And they're always trying to ask me or somebody, other pastor, or somebody on staff, you know, what's, what's some ammunition? What's some verses I can hit them with, you know? Boom, you know? I'm like, really? I don't think that's what God wants us to do. You see, because here's to me what the Bible teaches, that if a person is truly ready to receive Christ, their heart will be open. And they'll be ready. And I don't need to like beat it over their head and force it into them because that's not what God's Word said it's all about. It's not about arguing somebody in. It's about praying for them and praying that their heart will get to a point and be receptive and be soft like that soil to where when I do plant the seed, the seed will go in, it will penetrate, it will start to germinate, and it will start to produce something. That's what I need to do. Instead of arguing with them, pray for them. And then when they get to the point where they're receptive, then certainly let's be faithful and share it with them. That's why even Jesus told his own disciples, if I send you to a town and you're taking the good news with you, and they don't want to hear it, he doesn't say, stay there. He says, shake the dust off of your sandals and go somewhere else where they will hear you. It's not about arguing. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about having all these theological discussions that really don't lead anywhere because the bottom line is if I'm teaching the Word of God the way God wants me to, and if you and I are in the Word of God the way we should be, it's going to lead to godliness. And much of what we see many times in many circles is all that they talk about really never leads anywhere. It doesn't make anybody more godly or more of an effective servant or minister for Christ. In fact, I know I'm going to upset some of you. But that's why I'm very, very careful about home Bible studies and discussion groups and whatever, even amongst Christians. Because... If there's even one person in that group that really is looking at the Bible from a wrong perspective, they can upset the faith and undermine the faith of those people in that group. That's exactly what Hymenaeus and Philetus did. And they didn't know any better because they weren't grounded yet in the truth of God's Word. So they didn't know what this person was sharing in their group was actually contradicting what the Bible said. They didn't even know that. And that's why we've got to be very careful. I'm all for small groups. I'm all for home Bible studies. I've had one forever. I think they're great, but I think we just have to be very careful. We have to make sure that what we're teaching and what we're sharing is accurate. And here's the point that I'm probably going to upset some of you with. But I think a lot of times what we call Christian discussion about Bible themes in the Bible is nothing more than Mutually shared ignorance. Be careful. Be careful. In fact, that's why I want to go back up now to verse 15. That's why Paul tells Timothy, make every effort to present yourself before God as a proven worker who does not need to be ashamed, teaching the message of truth accurately. The word in the original language literally means to cut it straight. And the picture here now beyond the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, for me, is sort of a contractor. He says, look, God is looking at you as this contractor who's building. And you're building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. But like Paul said to the Corinthians, be careful how you build on that foundation. 
Because if you build on that foundation something that's false and something that's not accurate or true, you're not only going to blow up your life, you could undermine the faith of other people just like Hymenaeus and Philetus did. That's why there's a lot of people who desire to be teachers. They look at it as a glamorous position, but can I just tell you from somebody who's on the other side of it, the burden of responsibility to be a teacher of the Word of God is pretty heavy, and it should be. It is a great responsibility because we're dealing with things that could affect people's eternity here. That's pretty heavy. That's why James says in James chapter 3, verse 1, if you desire to be a teacher of the Word, just be careful because you've got to realize with that great privilege of being a teacher, there comes a huge responsibility. And you better make sure that before you stand up and teach the Word of God to others, that you have studied diligently and that what you are sharing with them is accurate. Because again, can I just say, from my perspective, there's a lot out there on TV and in our Christian bookstores and that people have written in the name of God and whatever that is not accurate. It is not in line with what the Bible teaches. And so we have to be very discriminating and we have to have discernment and that, again, is part of the reason why we offer Bible studies and we encourage Christians to grow. Because, again, how can a Christian know whether something lines up with the Bible or not if they're not growing in their understanding of the Word and tapping into the Holy Spirit in their life? They will be a prime target for the false teachers and the false prophets of today. So Paul tells Timothy, make sure that you're accurate in what you're teaching and what you're sharing with others. Finally tonight, two other points very quickly. Down at the end of verse 19, he says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from evil. And then he uses the illustration of vessels or utensils in a home. And he says there, there are good vessels and there are bad vessels. There are dirty vessels and there are clean vessels. There are vessels that are cracked and there are vessels that that are just beautiful, honorable vessels. And I think this whole passage is talking about a very important point. And that is that God wants us to strive to live pure, godly, righteous lives. Because if there's one thing that's going to sap our spiritual strength from us, it's a servant of God living in sin, living in disobedience. Living in rebellion against God. That's why he says to Timothy, in a wealthy home, verse 20, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also ones made of wood and of clay. Some are for honorable use, others for ignoble use. So if someone cleanses himself of such behavior, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. In fact, notice he goes on in verse 22, and he ends verse 22 by saying, with others who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I believe this whole section of chapter 2 is talking about the importance of striving for holiness and purity and righteousness and obedience in our life. Why? Again, because if we're going to run the race, just like the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 12, and I'm going to run with endurance, I've got to lay aside every weight and what? And the sin which clings to me. Because if i got all this sin in my life, 
and I'm trying to run with endurance, pretty soon all that sin is just going to collapse me and wear me down. And that's true of a Christian, much less someone who's trying to be a Christian and still trying to serve the Lord and minister. Oh my goodness, talk about conflict. I always tell Christians, if you have found yourself at a point in your life where something has got a hold of you, and you're just at a a point in your life where you're struggling with sin, it would be better for you to back out of ministry a little bit and get to a point where you can be strengthened and encouraged than to keep on in ministry and keep trying to plow forward with that elephant on your back. Because it will sap your strength as you struggle with it. It will take all that spiritual energy out from you. Because there's a great biblical principle. With purity comes power. You want spiritual power in your life? God says, strive for purity. Not perfection. God understands we won't be perfect. But even when we do fail, let's confess those sins to God, 1 John 1, 9. And allow the grace of God to cleanse us. To clean us up. Another way God cleans us is through his word. Jesus said in John chapter 17, you are clean through the word that I give to you. And that's another reason why we want people's lives to be in the word of God, because the word of God is a cleansing agent. It cleans up our life. It cleans up our minds. It cleans out our minds. It transforms us. It makes us pure so that we can have spiritual power and spiritual staying power as we go through our Christian life. And then finally, The last reason that Paul lays down to Timothy to encourage him to keep on keeping on and not throwing in the towel, go back up to verse 24, 25, and 26. The Lord's slave must not engage in heated disputes, but be kind toward all, an apt teacher, patient. Correcting opponents with gentleness, perhaps God will grant them repentance and then the knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape the devil's trap where they are held captive to do his will. First of all, real quick, I know I've got a few minutes left. One of the reasons, too, why God doesn't want us to argue and fight with people is because only God can change a heart. That's what Paul's reminding Timothy. Only God can change a person's heart, and that is if they're open to that. We can't change people's hearts, but God can. So we've got to let that up with God. We can't turn their heart, but God can. But secondly, it's this. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, we need you. We need every man. We need every woman. We need every young person. And here's why. Because there are people out there in this world, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, people that you work with, people that you go to school with, that guess what? They are being held as a prisoner of war by Satan himself. That's what Paul says in verse 26. There is a spiritual warfare going on. That's why we're called soldiers at one point in this passage. And Paul says sometimes part of the spiritual warfare is that people become prisoners of war. They, they become held captive because they have bought into the lies of Satan. They have bought into the deceptions of Satan. And Satan has captivated them by these lies. He talks about the trap of the devil. It literally means that the devil is very good at putting the right bait on that hook in order to get us to chomp down on it and then carry us away. He knows exactly what bait to put on that trap in order to attract us. He's been doing it ever since the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. 
You sure you don't want that fruit? You sure you don't want to bite into that? And th- you'll be like a god. You sure you don't want to do that? Satan's strategy hasn't changed. He t- still tries to deceive and captivate people through his lies. And the reason that you and I need to stay strong in Jesus Christ and keep on moving forward in our relationship with Christ, again, is it's not all about us. But there are people that God wants to bring in contact with us. That even though only God can change a heart, that maybe he can use your life and your witness and your testimony to begin to share the truth of God with them. And take them from being a prisoner of the devil himself. And bring them out of captivity. And allow Jesus to truly set them free. What does Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And as Jesus looks down upon this world, I believe his heart is broken. And I believe that one of the main reasons why his heart is broken is he sees so many human beings or who are being held captive by the devil. They have believed his lies. They have taken his bait. They believe the deceptions. And they are now being held as a prisoner of war. And Jesus is saying to all of us, go out there into the world. Make disciples. And allow me through you, through my word, and through my spirit to set people free. Let's do it, folks. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for the words of Paul, the words of the Holy Spirit tonight. And God, go with us tonight. Make us Jesus strong. Allow each of us to allow you to strengthen us by the grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. And remind us of these verses and these principles throughout this next week. We don't know all the challenges that we are going to face, but we know that we have a God on our side and we have the grace of God within us and upon us and around us and supporting us that can meet each and every challenge that comes our way for the rest of our life. God, help us to realize we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. Thanks for being here.